You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your guest host and fanalist, JJ Lazy. Check us out online at packernet.com and follow me on Twitter at JJ Leahy. First of all, big thanks to everybody uh, who has been sending in uh, burger tips and, and recipes to me. I only got uh, one the first time I asked, and since then I have gotten submissions from uh, Alexi, Tony, uh, and Brady. I feel like I had at least another one around here somewhere, but I'm just not uh, as organized as I should be. But thank you, everybody, for sending those in. Uh, excited to try out your uh, tips and tricks. I think combined, there's some really, really good uh, burger tips in here. Well, I gave the Facebook group an extra day to uh, ask some questions. We're going to go ahead and get started on these now. Once again, uh, today's episode is brought to you by Bearded Buck. So going in order on these questions, uh, the first one, I, I feel like I answered last night, the... Uh, Question about, do we start Aaron Rodgers if he skips all of the training camp and preseason and then comes back right before the season starts? So the short answer is yes. If you want the long answer, go listen to yesterday's episode. From Mike Evans, I know you enjoy the Civilization games. What other turn-based or RTS games did you or do you play? Command & Conquer was always number one for me. Well, Mike, I, you may be getting me confused with Ryan. Ryan's the guy who is a big Civ Six fan. So I actually had to look up what RTS stands for. It's real-time strategy. Um, was not super familiar with the term, so I looked up a bunch of RTS games. I have actually played several. Uh, played Warcraft, uh, played a little bit of League of Legends. On mobile, I was really big into Clash of Clans for a long time. Played that for, gosh, six or seven years. Another one I played for a while on uh, PC was Lord of the Rings Battle for Middle-Earth. That was kind of a fun one. Again, Brian is definitely more the uh, the Civ Six fan. Uh, probably the guy you were intending to direct your question to. But I will say I have recently gotten into a little mini genre called Auto Chess. I have played several of those now. My favorite one, I think it's called Auto Brawl. It's not the same kind of game as what you're describing, but it's, you know, a close cousin to it, I guess. Jeb wants to know, what is Zedarius's trade value? Cap-wise, he's the biggest hit if 12 comes back and the situation is resolved. His is the only contract we can feasibly get out of that would make a big difference to the 2022 cap. I'm saying a second rounder if it's before training camp. Thoughts? So I guess you're talking about trading him this summer, right? Not before training camp next summer. So to start with, I don't think they're going to do that. Uh, I was in, I was actually in favor of it. Uh, <laughs> Ryan kind of ripped me on the podcast for suggesting moving on from Zedarius. Um, and probably rightly so. The Packers, I don't think, have any intentions to do anything like that. And I don't think that they are really that nervous about the salary cap. I am. The Packers do not seem to be. So let's see. If they did do a post-June 1 trade, they would save $2.2 million and would have $12 million dead cap. So right off the bat, that's not happening. If they were to trade or cut him 
post June one next year, they would save fifteen point seven five billion dollars. At that point, it's a maybe, but he's only under contract for one more year at that point. Uh, he would only be under contract for the 2022 season. So who is going to trade for him for one season? I'm sure there are some teams out there that would be interested, but I think your market is kind of on the small side. And I think the Packers would be more interested in just extending Zedarius, um out for, for several years. Having said that, they do need to do something. His cap hit next year is $28 million. That ain't going to stick. They're either going to trade slash cut or they're going to extend him. I think they're going to extend him. I think you could find a team next offseason to trade for him uh, and give up a probably a second round pick, maybe a third. One slightly interesting thing to note is that over the cap thinks he is slightly overpaid. They value him at $13.8 million. His average per year is 16 and a half. The closest that I was able to find, and maybe some of you can think of a better example, in terms of trade compensation was Jadevian Clowney. And you got to remember also that at the time, Clowney was traded from the Texans to the Seahawks. He was valued a lot more than he is currently. Since then, he's kind of bounced around and not had a lot of success. Let's see. He was not that great with the Seahawks, and then he went to, I believe, the Titans, and now he's a Brown. Guy's been all over the place since he got traded. But it was worth noting that he, I think, only had one year left on his contract at the time he was traded. Um, and the Seahawks had to give up a third round pick plus two players, Jacob Martin and Barcavius Mingo. Neither of these are guys are great. Barcavius Mingo is not even a Texan anymore. He signed a one year, $1.25 million with a uh, contract with the Falcons. Jacob Martin is still an edge rusher for the Texans. And I'm curious to see how well he played last year. Um, whew, uh, not great. Uh, what about last year? Yeah, he's 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 just been he's a former sixth round pick. These these guys are are not great. This is like um I don't know the equivalent of us sending over, uh, like I'm trying to think of a sixth round guy we have. I mean, there are two sixth round linebackers. I guess the best comparison I I can come up with would be like. Kamal Martin and uh, Jake Hansen. You know, Kamal Martin was a fifth round pick, not a sixth round pick, but, um, you know, (laughs) and I know that Jake Hansen's a center, but we don't have great comparisons here. You go maybe like split the difference to Kamal Martin and Ty McDuffie or Isaiah McDuffie. So you got a, a fifth round linebacker and a seventh round linebacker, split the difference and pretend they're both sixth round guys. That plus a third round pick got you a year of Jadeveon Clowney. So I think I think he, the Packers would be looking for at least a, probably a second round pick. Um, I don't know if they want players in return. Maybe they would. And their their cap is in such a situation that definitely the the picks would be more useful to them. But again, I don't think they're interested in moving on from Zedarius have not seen anything to suggest that they have any plans other than just keeping him around long-term. 
So we'll see. I, I would expect maybe like late later in the year, um, December ish or yeah, probably December ish. I, I think we could probably expect a an announcement of an extension for Zadarius. Jerry asks predictions for Jones and Dylan. Jones picks up where he left off, regardless of QB. Dylan over and above Williams totals, and who picks up the blocking that Williams that Jamal Williams took care of? Dylan, do you think our other backs will get much of a look with that combo? I want to bring up an interesting consideration. The Packers right now don't have a third down back, so your third down running back, honestly, the the closest guy that you have to that role as far as I know, is Aaron Jones. And I don't think that's how the Packers want to be using him uh, after giving him big boy money this past year with his uh, new contract. What you want in a third down back is a guy who excels at uh, pass protection. He's got to be a great pass blocker. And you want a guy who can slip out and and catch those, uh, those under routes, the short passes. That's kind of what you're looking for in a third down back. Tell you who that's definitely not is Kylan Hill. The dude absolutely stinks at pass blocking. I would love it if over the course of this offseason he learns to be a great pass blocker. And I think that we have the coaches and players around him to create a great environment for him to learn to be a good pass blocker. Right now, you can't lean on Kylan Hill to be your third down back. I think Aaron Jones might be the only guy you have. Which Leads me to Patrick Taylor. Patrick Taylor, we have not seen at all. He got, I guess, uh, 2020 was essentially just a redshirt year for him. He was undrafted. In college, he, PFF gave him a pass blocking grade of 79, which is pretty, pretty decent. Definitely would put him um, uh, ahead of A.J. Dillon, far ahead of uh, where Kylan Hill is at ahead of Dexter Williams. Patrick Taylor may be your option for that third down back. And if he can contribute on special teams as well, I think this is your guy to take that running back three spot. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the quarterback position because I would not be surprised at all. Just looking at who I expect to make the team uh, and looking at historical numbers of how many guys that keep at each position on the 53 man roster. It seems to me that quarterback and running back are kind of going to be duking it out for uh, an additional spot. I think we will see at least three running backs on the roster. If we end up having to keep three or four quarterbacks on the roster, I think three is your limit for running backs. Now, to the first part of your question, in you know, does uh, does Jones just pick up where he left off? It's an interesting one because I don't I don't feel like he had a great 2020. 2019 was awesome for Aaron Jones. He was a freak. Um, he tied the NFL in total touchdowns, and was it rushing touchdowns? I think, and then he was one behind. I want to say. Christian McCaffrey in receiving touchdowns. It was something along those lines. He was awesome in 2019. He took a big step back in 2020. And I think a large part of that has to do with Aaron Rodgers hogging up so many total touchdowns 
Uh, you know, Rodgers hit, what was it, 45? No, 48. Career best 48 touchdowns in 2020, plus another five in the playoffs. Aaron Jones had 16 touchdowns in 2019. He only put up nine in 2020. So I think, although it was great for the overall team, having Aaron Rodgers go off for a career best third time MVP season was not great for Jones's personal stats. In 2019, Aaron Rodgers was not fully um, in tune with the new Packers offense. He was um, not, let's see, he, he put up uh, 26 touchdowns in 2019. Jones got a lot more work. And I think if Love was the starter this year, you would see a lot more carries for the running backs across the board. I think even if Love is really good in his first season, that uh, you'd have some games that are just completely taken over by uh, by the running backs. I kind of would like to see Lafleur use AJ Dillon in, you know, uh, the Derrick Henry role. Just really feed him a lot. I know a lot of people really want Dillon to be used down in, in goal line situations, and I just think that is a misread of what his talents are. I think Aaron Jones really should be more your goal line back. He's so good at that, and AJ Dillon. Is I, I I don't I don't think that AJ Dillon is the lumbering uh, bulldozer that a lot of folks think that he is. I think I think he's more of a skilled technician. He's got a big body that can soak up a lot of abuse and hold up for an entire game without wearing out, which is you know not really the case with Aaron Jones. What wouldn't surprise me at all would be to see at the end of the season to have A.J. Dillon have far more yards and Aaron Jones have more touchdowns. If Patrick Taylor does make the team, it's worth noting he is a very effective receiving back. He has experience in the slot. He did most of his pass catching out of the backfield. He was targeted 79 times in college, and he had a 70% completion rating, 434 yards through the air, and three receiving touchdowns. Not half bad. I don't think Kylan Hill is going anywhere. You know, he was a draft pick this year. The odds that that the Packers move on from him seem quite slim to me. I'd like to see them keep four running backs, and I'd like Patrick Taylor to probably be the guy to get that. Even though I really like Dexter, I think Patrick Taylor might be the more well-rounded guy, and... He's also a different type of running back. Dexter is more of an Aaron Jones. And we already have an Aaron Jones and one who is much better at being an Aaron Jones than Dexter Williams is. We're going to take a quick ad break and I'll be right back with some more of your questions. Zach has another non-football question. ESP, real or nah? You know, the more interesting question I think would be, is ESPN real? Sometimes I, I, I don't have actual TV. I never watch any of the uh, cable sports network shows. But I got a fun little barbershop in my town that has like a monthly membership fee. And as long as you're getting your hair cut like uh, two times a month, it's cheaper to just do the membership. And so I do the membership because I have a beard and it's easier for me to just uh, go in and 
have the barber trim up my beard for me. And, um, you know, I, I have a pretty short hairstyle. And so the more frequent I get that trimmed up, the better it looks. They always have ESPN playing while I'm there. And so I look up and uh, get up on ESPN is by far the worst show I have been subjected to. I my brain want, wants to just melt out of my ears when I listen to the guys on Get Up Talk. I really want to know if the guys on these shows, if any of them actually believe what they're saying. Now, I know like Stephen A. Smith and and uh, Skip Bayless, obviously they don't believe what they're saying. Skip in particular, look, <laughs> a lot of folks really hate Skip. Um, I don't because I don't care. I just admire how good he is at his job. And his job is make headlines and make a lot of money for Fox. That's exactly what he does. He says outrageous, crazy stuff. You know he doesn't believe more than like 5% of what comes out of his mouth. But that man makes a lot of money. And he makes a lot of money for his employer. He's very good at what he does. As far as ESP, no. Um, I I do, there, there's one, one thing that I kind of believe in. Probably shouldn't put this on a podcast, but I actually do believe in the Loch Ness Monster. I don't believe in Bigfoot. I don't believe in Yetis. I don't believe in aliens, any of that stuff. But the Loch Ness Monster makes a lot of sense to me because you look at uh, any pictures that they've ever taken of it. And it matches up really well with the Pleosaur. It was a, a aquatic dinosaur that's supposed to have died out a very long time ago. And it's Pleosaurs have allegedly been spotted in a lot of different parts of the world. I know um, South America is kind of a hotbed for Pleosaurs. Or I should say Pleosaur reported sightings and, and photographs that may or may not be faked. I don't know, man. You know, you look at all the crazy stuff that people believe in, chupacabras and all that. I think me believing that photos, which may or may not have been faked, that happen to look exactly like an extinct dinosaur, I feel like that's pretty tame compared to a lot of other stuff, including ESP. I'd like someone to explain to me where the recent surge in all the astrology crap has come from. I thought we were all on the same page that we all agreed none of that was real. And yet I'm seeing that pop up everywhere, all over social media. Like I, I feel like I can't read any comments on a trending story without hop you know some some lady says, Oh, you know, that's that's such a Scorpio thing. Rah, rah, rah. I don't know where this came from. I feel like maybe I've just been like living under a rock and this has still been big for forever. Was there some recent like social incident that happened that has brought astrology back to the forefront of people's thoughts? I feel like I missed something here. Don't message me if you believe in astrology with like, oh, here's why you should. Because um, look, you know, every time I read a, a thing about my sign it like fits my life exactly I really don't care about that if you have an explanation for why this is suddenly like a big thing again like I, I think it's it's the like 
uh, interest, the public interest and obsession with it, which seems, as far as I can tell, to... I'm not trying to generalize, but just I, I have not talked to a single guy who has brought it up. Just a lot of women bring it up around me a lot on online. I'm just really curious if like I've just been living under a rock and this has been a big thing for forever or if there really is a resurgence of this. That's kind of all I'm wondering. Chris says... Peter King said the best win-win scenario for both the Pack and Rodgers is for him to play in Green Bay in 2021 with the agreement that they trade him before the 2022 season. I agree with him, but it sounds too good to be true. Is there any real example of this type of mutual agreement having happened in the NFL that could give us hope that it's a feasible agreement? Well, here's the problem. That is not what Aaron Rodgers wants. That's what the Packers want. Aaron Rodgers has zero interest in being a lame duck quarterback, being a placeholder for Jordan Love. He does not want to play one more season in Green Bay and then get traded. He wants to stay in Green Bay long term. He wants a contract that is so prohibitive it forces the Packers to keep him. That's what he wants. The Packers are the ones who want the flexibility to have just one more year of Rodgers and then move on from him. As far as a contract, a feasible contract you could put together, yeah, you could restructure or, or you could uh, have him sign a new contract that is for just one year, and that one-year contract then means he's a free agent and can go to whatever team he wants to afterwards. I believe Andrew Brandt suggested a very similar um sort of compromise. I, I don't know if this was Peter King's idea. Andrew Brandt proposed this like a month and a half ago. Is there any real example of this type of mutual agreement having happened in the NFL? Um, Sure. Now, you might not see the similarity here, but uh, as far as quarterbacks and their teams coming to mutually beneficial short-term agreements, I mean, that happens all the time. Um. Look at uh, Ben Roethlisberger's new contract coming coming back this year. I mean, he took a massive pay cut to come back, and he didn't have to. Like, the Steelers would have had a massive amount of dead cap if they moved on from him. This was literally just Ben taking less money for the good of the team. But yeah, the, the one year and then trade him thing is... That's not what Rodgers wants. It's not mutually beneficial. It's just Packerly beneficial. And if Aaron Rodgers just caves and comes back and plays in 2021, this is pretty much just what's going to happen regardless. I'm not sure what scenario Peter King thinks he's avoiding here. Maybe he just is under the impression that the Packers want Rodgers long-term and he just wants out of there and doesn't really have any leverage, but maybe his leverage is just playing in the 2020 season. I, I think that's really backwards in a lot of different categories. First of all, the Packers obviously would like him back this season, but they have a plan in place. I mean, they've been giving Jordan Love all of the reps. LaFleur has been very adamant. Yeah, we want Rodgers back. That's plan A, but 
even if Rodgers is back, Jordan Love is always just one injury away from being the starting quarterback anyways, and we have to prepare him like he's going to be the starting quarterback. They would like another year to continue to develop Jordan and to see how good Jordan is. But guess what? If Jordan is no good, they don't want to move on from from Aaron in a year. What the Packers want is the flexibility to move on next year if they're ready to and to keep Aaron around if they're not, if they're not ready to move on to Jordan. What Rodgers wants is to be the only plan for the Packers until he's ready to retire. And it sounds like if if they're not willing to do that, then he wants to just pick which team he can go to and go be their most important player. So no, I don't think Peter King's win-win scenario is any good. Um Andrew Brantz, I think, made more sense because it was a re it's not a restructure. It's it's just a new contract for just one year so that Aaron is a free agent and can Tom Brady style go to whatever his Tampa Bay Buccaneers is at the end of that season. And again, I'm still not entirely sure that Rogers would go for that. I don't really think that's exactly what he wants. I think he wants to stay in Green Bay, but he wants to do so long term. I think he would like them to get rid of love. I think he would like more money, which makes sense because he's playing at a higher level. Just one MVP. I think a pay raise is probably fair. You got a lot of quarterbacks making more money than he is now. Uh, I, I think that's a, a situation that that the Packers acknowledge, yeah, he's he should get some more money, but I think he wants that guaranteed. I think he wants to be the the guy in Green Bay for several years yet to come, like five or more probably, and that is the uh, that's the situation they're in. I'm gonna go ahead and take our final ad break and wrap it up with our last couple questions. All right, Idan has a question that I've kind of been avoiding. (laughs) This was way earlier up in the list, and I just didn't want to touch it because uh, it's a headache. Um, Sorry, Idan, I'm not trying to be mean to you. It's just, um, look, you don't have the answer to this question. I don't 100% have the answer to it either. I kind of do. It's also just not a fun question. Whatever. All right. Edon says, given that mass media often rips on the Packers for not having an owner, how does that really potentially affect the franchise's ability to compete over time, especially in the modern era where budgets are exploding and flashy objects have greater value? Also, if you'd like to top that off, perhaps you could touch on how a tiny market, surely the most skewed market size to fame ratio in professional sports, can sustain success and remain competitive when there's no rich backer behind it. So let's take a step back and ask a very simple question. Do the Packers have money? Yeah, they do. They have plenty of money. How how do we know? Have you seen all the crap they're building around Lambeau Field? They have money to burn. Additionally, there is a salary cap. So rich owners can't spend more than poor owners. It's just a matter of does your team actually have enough money to use up the entire salary cap. To my knowledge, every single team in the league consistently has more than enough money to hit the salary cap. That's not even an issue. So 
there's no competitive advantage in terms of being able to get more expensive players. Now, you could have a better or worse facility. I think anybody who's taken a look around Lambeau Field doesn't really have any complaints about how much Lambeau Field helps and, and all, the, all the training facilities helps the team. One of the better stadiums in the league. Seems like all the training facilities are great. They got great equipment. They're able to pay their coaches plenty of money. Um, now, I know that there was a uh, there was something going on with... So when Matt LaFleur first got to town, they shipped off... What's his name? Oh, what was the... Uh, Zook, Ron Zook. The, the old special teams coordinator got rid of him. He was terrible. And allegedly Matt LaFleur's first choice for the new special teams coordinator was Maurice Rayton, who is now the current special teams coordinator. But at the time he was Ron Zook's uh, assistant and LaFleur interviewed all the staff that was there. And he went and told the front office, and I guess uh, just, Murphy and Gutekunst that he wanted Murray Strayton to be the new special teams coordinator. He did not get his wish because the, um, the Packers brass allegedly recommended, Hey, we kind of think you should go outside the building because the, and Ryan's talked about this before that the quality of the coaches that were around at that time were not the greatest because of, Mike McCarthy's strategy in which coaches he kept around. So it had nothing to do with money. It had to do with Mike was a really loyal guy and he would just hang on to his coaches for forever and he wouldn't fire anybody. And so the really good uh, position coaches and coordinators were getting hired away by other teams to get promotions. And so Mike McCarthy was left with like the riffraff and again, that has nothing to do with money. That has to do with um, Mike McCarthy's hiring practices. So after that, the second guy up on the list was, I believe, Darren Ritzy. <clears throat> and this actually was an issue because Darren Ritzy wanted a lot of money. And <laughs> um, so the floor takes Darren's name up to the brass and they said, can you find somebody cheaper? Darren Rizzi goes and starts uh, coaching special teams for the Saints. They have like the one of the very best special teams units in the league now. And Matt LaFleur said, OK, I, I guess we're going with option number three, who is this guy who has never coached special teams before, Sean Menenga. We all know how that turned out. But. I don't know that any part of that story you could point to the Packers front office and say, you know, if they had an owner, that would have been handled better. Other than, you know, you could debate like, would a, you know, super, super rich owner say, yeah, you know, we'll pay, we'll pay top dollar for a special teams coordinator. Special teams is not really important to like hardly any teams. And that includes the Packers. That's just never been the case. All the other coaches, you know, money is not an issue. And I'd like to just point out some hypocrisy here for a long time. I shouldn't say for a long time, for several years, 
2015, 16, 17, there was a lot of frustration from fans toward Mark Murphy because they felt that he was too hands-off, that he was letting Ted and Mike run the whole show and he wasn't really getting involved in football. Now their complaint is the opposite. Now their complaint is, well, you know, uh, yeah, so he fired Ted or, or, you know, relieved Ted of his duties, asked him to retire, fired Mike, replaced them with Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst, and they're fine, but, Mar- but you know, but Mark Murphy is the issue because he meddles too much. Uh, you know, he's he's doesn't realize that he should just be on his knees groveling before Aaron Rodgers. I don't understand the argument that a rich owner is going to be better for the Aaron Rodgers situation. Like explain the logic to me. What, what, what are you trying to accomplish here by having a rich owner? I don't, I don't see how this helps the situation. Every other team in the league has a rich owner. Many of those teams are absolutely terrible. We'll see if the new regimes in Jacksonville and Detroit um, turn things around. But, I mean, those teams have gone through so many other previous regimes under the same wealthy owners and gotten little to no results. You look at, um, what's the guy's name who owns the Washington team that everybody hates? Snyder. Dan Snyder. You think he's doing great things for, for Washington? You think the the Ford family is doing great things for Detroit? They have, have extremely wealthy owners. You think uh, Shad Khan is doing great things for Jacksonville? How about uh, Cal McNair or, or Cal's son, whoever whoever currently is running the uh, Texans? Is he doing a great job? Think about the Buffalo Bills. They're doing great right now. Do you know who actually manages the Buffalo Bills? It's the kid of the owner, and the kid manages the Buffalo Bills and the Buffalo Sabres. Pegula Group is the name of... Pegula Sports Entertainment, actually, is the name of the um, company that owns all these teams. The Sabres, the Bills, the Buffalo Bandits, which is a lacrosse team, the Rochester Americans, a... What is this? A hockey league affiliate? Okay, the Buffalo Buttes. This is a women's hockey team, and the Rochester Nighthawks, another lacrosse team. I wonder if this is a women's lacrosse. Anyways, they um, they own a bunch of other stuff too, but those are the sports teams. They got all these different teams are just being managed by like his kid, who did a terrible job for forever. Now you got a. a really good GM now and a good head coach and they're doing great things for the Buffalo Bills. Uh you think that the the rich owner and his kid are really benefiting that organization very much? You going to give them the credit for that? How about the New York Jets? What about the Bears? The McCaskey family, they're doing a bang up job running that team. What about all the dozens of times that the Browns reinvented themselves under each owner? And you just heard over and over again that the the owners, you know, that you know, we're selling the team. The new owner is going to really turn things around. It's the same old Browns year after year. I don't care that they're good right now. You can't tell me that I lose this argument because the Browns happen to be good right now. It's the Browns. Everybody knows how horrible they've been for decades. 
The point I'm making is not, oh, yeah, the Browns are going to go back to being bad. That's not the point I'm making. I'm saying for years and years and years, they were awful. The Lions were awful year after year after year. And these rich owners who don't actually really care about these football teams, they're, they're status symbols. They're not making the team better. Well, Packers are only good because they had back-to-back Hall of Fame first ballot uh, quarterbacks. You mean that like the entire rest of the league passed up on twice? You know, this narrative that Aaron Rodgers fell just because all these teams happened to not need quarterbacks is so overblown. There were teams that did need quarterbacks. Uh, John Gruden allegedly told Aaron Rodgers, if you're there at, what, pick 10 or whatever they're picking, we're taking you, and they didn't. Raiders needed a, uh, uh, sorry, not the Raiders. He was the head coach of the uh, Buccaneers in 2005. They needed a quarterback. And by the way, if any team in the league knew what Aaron Rodgers was going to become, do they pass up on him? Brett Favre was drafted in the second round. We, we give these quarterbacks all of the credit for how good they are. We don't give any credit at all to the organization that developed back-to-back first ballot Hall of Famer quarterbacks. No, it's just Mark Murphy is an idiot because in this tiny snapshot of time, we're talking like a year maximum, the Aaron Rodgers relationship has not been the best. I'd like to know, by the way, who the heck Aaron Rodgers supposedly does have a good relationship with. It's not any one of his girlfriends that he, you know, basically dumps after he gets his next girlfriend. Apparently, we're told that he doesn't have any kind of a relationship with his family, despite the fact that yesterday on the podcast, I was uh, reading tweets from his dad vehemently defending him. No, it's just Mark Murphy is an idiot because of one awkward sounding comment that he made. We're not going to give him any credit at all for hiring Brian Gutekunst because, by the way, apparently we all have quit hating Brian Gutekunst and now he's fine and it's Mark Murphy is the problem. Uh, he doesn't get any credit for handpicking Matt LaFleur. No, that was really more of a Matt LaFleur thing. Just like uh, Aaron Rodgers coached himself into being one of the best quarterbacks of all time, Matt LaFleur, I mean, he hired himself into Green Bay. The, Mark Murphy didn't even want him. He was like kicking and screaming because he wanted like Adam Gase, right? That's totally what was happening. So I don't get it, and I don't at all understand the argument for how a owner would help. I don't feel that Jerry Jones helps the Cowboys very much. They are terrible year in and out with him meddling. I don't know. You got to explain it to me. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, So I just took a break because uh, I was watching the end of the uh, Bucks nets game seven. Was not expecting it to go to overtime. Um, so <laughs> kind of, wow, that was, that was exhausting to watch. Uh, really exciting, but exhausting. So, but to wrap up your question about talking about the small market and needing a rich owner. Again, the Packers are not hurting for money. As for how the tiny market could hurt their ability to succeed in the future, it can be more difficult to attract uh, free agent talent to Green Bay. That's always been an issue, but I don't feel that that's the best way to build a team anyways. Draft and develop is a proven strategy. Hopefully in the post Aaron Rodgers era, you still are able to get guys like Zedarius and Preston and Adrian Amos and Billy Turner to come over to the Packers in free agency. Uh, I, I don't think that you're going to see that change. Why? Because the crappiest teams in the league, 
the Lions, the Jaguars, they routinely are able to land expensive free agents. It's all about the money. If the Packers continue playing winning football, which they have one of the best rosters in the league, even without Rodgers, yes, he makes them a lot of money. No, I don't think they're going to be hurting financially without him. Not to the point where they can't compete and still be one of the best teams in the league due to financial constraints. Yes, you can go through a dark period where you don't have a good quarterback. That's obviously a thing. I do have concerns about how they are managing the cap right now. I think that that is going to potentially hurt them long term. But they have a plan. I, I Just because I don't know what their plan is and I don't like what I see of their plan so far doesn't mean they don't know exactly what they're doing because they're not stressing. They're not worried about running out of money. Now, I, on the other hand, am running out of questions. I have one more from Robert about uh, the defense. I'm going to save that for tomorrow. Um, I think it requires a longer answer than what I can give tonight. So, Robert, I'll get to you tomorrow. Thank you, everybody else who sent in questions. I appreciate you. Hey, congratulations to the Milwaukee Bucks. Very exciting night for them. Massive respect to Kevin Durant. (laughs) The dude played his soul out. I uh, played a phenomenal series. I do just want to take a second and address the national media, the referees, the announcers for that game. I'm really sorry for your loss. I know this one is going to hurt for a while. Just truly heartbreaking. I'm, I'm, I feel your pain. Uh, and on that note, get wrecked. <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to do it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please follow me on Twitter at JJ Leahy to stay up to date with all things Packers. Please keep sending in questions either in the Facebook group or on Twitter. I don't know how many more episodes I'm filling in for Ryan until he gets back, but the more awesome questions you guys can send in, the better. I'm hitting the hay. I got to be up early in the morning, so uh, you all enjoy your Sunday. I will talk to you all later. Bye-bye.